0: From Canadian Food Focus, this is Ask a Farmer. I'm your host, Clinton Monchak, a Saskatchewan farmer. In this podcast, we talk to food experts to answer your questions about your food. Welcome everybody to the podcast. Today we're going to be talking about how the agriculture industry manages our plastics. We produce many different products that obviously we consume as consumers, but we don't always think about the primary producer and the role and some of the plastics that we would use on the farm. To protect the environment and manage some of these different aspects from primary production, we use these plastics, but we also recycle them. And today we have with us Barry Friesen from Clean Farms, who's going to tell us a little bit more about this. So Barry, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, and it's a pleasure to be here, Clinton.
0: I really think this is an interesting conversation because a lot of consumers don't fully understand uh, what the industry goes through in an effort to make sure that we actually do our part on protecting the environment when it comes to plastics and some of the the inorganic wastes. So before we get into that, do you want to just give us, the the listeners, a little bit of a background of Barry?
1: So uh, my name is Barry Friesen. I live currently in Toronto, Ontario. Pretty much claim the country as my home. (laughs) The the entire country. I was born in Vancouver, moved to the East Coast, Prince Edward Island, where I partly grew up. And then uh, when I went to university, I went to Halifax and I stayed there for 22 years and then migrated over to Ontario. I'm a professional engineer. Uh, My expertise has been in waste resource management for many, many years, really since 1995. And uh, my first job was on a farm in Prince Edward Island where I worked on a dairy farm. Oh, wow. And so I draw a little bit of experience from there, but uh, albeit I don't farm, but we service farms and we offer solutions to farms across uh, the country. And we actually operate coast to coast from Vancouver Island to Newfoundland.
0: So one of the things that kind of intrigues me a little bit, that Clean Farms, who does a lot of the background with recycling and and some of the programs we're going to talk about, here in this podcast, it's not technically a company. Can you explain that?
1: Technically, we are a company, but what we are is we're a not-for-profit incorporated organization, and uh, we don't produce products. Uh, where we classify ourselves more as a facilitator of things because we're a not-for-profit or we've been granted that status by the government, so you know we're federally incorporated so that we can allow our members, who are all really producers of products, can get together. They're all fierce competitors in the marketplace, but when they come to the clean farms table, they're all equal, regardless of the size, regardless of what they produce. They're here to, to do a good job, uh, the, the proper job of paying for the collection and recycling or, and or safe disposal of products that are generated on the farm. We help facilitate it, and we, as a not-for-profit, we don't own anything other than, say, the computer and, you know, the software that uh, we manage our programs with. And we go out to market for contractors, the competitive industry, to get us the best prices and the best service possible to, to do the job of collecting these materials, having them recycled, and in some cases, they can't be recycled safely disposed. But the, the bottom line is that it's properly managed in the most environmentally friendly
0: way. Your members are actually the producers of the products that are getting recycled, correct?
1: That's correct, yeah. yes.
0: So, so there was like a collective group that got together and, and realized that we need to do better for the environment, right? And And trying to figure out a way to do this. So These companies uh, have gotten together and and fueled this initiative. Is that how the funding model works then, that you do this? Or is it a fee for service? Like, How does that work, just just so I understand?
1: We like to consider ourselves as the blue box for the agricultural industry. And uh, our funding model is very similar to other programs, stewardship programs like us. So a lot of people are familiar with if they buy a new tire in Canada, virtually every province has a program. Buy a tire, you pay an extra fee, and that fee goes to a company that will collect and recycle that tire at the end of its life. Same thing for computers, oil and oil containers and filters and all those sort of things. They're very common in the consumer realm, not nearly as common in the agriculture realm. Having said that, The pesticide industry got together many, many years ago and actually started in 1989 to fund and organize the collection and recycling of small containers. And when I say small containers, they're typically 10-liter plastic container. And uh, they've been doing that since 1989. They realized as that program grew, they added a collection called the Obsolete Pesticide Collection Program, which was collecting unwanted pesticides across the country and they offered that program in provinces every every so often. But they saw that what was happening since 1989, all these other programs are starting and both the general public and the government wanted more. Pesticide industry came together voluntarily to start this program. But other parts of the agriculture industry, the inputs industry, and particularly the plastic products that are being used across the farms and farms across the country, That industry realized that something else was going to happen and they were going to have to do something. And it's no longer a nice to have or a voluntary program. It's going to be a must-have. And so that's when Clean Farm started. So we launched in 2010. The pesticide industry gave us and we took over the small container collection program and the what at that time was the obsolete pesticide program offered every four years in every province. And we took it over. And essentially, our our job was to go forth and multiply. Start to bring in these other industries, um, make an economy scale, make this more efficient, do a better job, and collect more materials. Because that's where the world is going. And what we're seeing, if you fast forward to today, the world as a whole has a plastic challenge. In some cases, the problem, there's very little collections of a lot of plastic products, There's very little recycled content and a lot of plastic products, and there's a lot of plastic litter. And and so what the industry have realized is they wanted to be ready, and that's why Clean Farms was was formed and, and launched in 2010, take over those existing programs, start to multiply, and get set for these mandatory programs that are starting to pop up across the country. We now have four provinces in Canada that have mandatory programs. Saskatchewan, for instance, it's mandatory that if you sell grain bags into that uh, province, you have to have a program to take it back. We're there and we're ready. We were already operating there with our other programs. Now we could add this to our roster of programs. Manitoba has regulated not just grain bags, but all kinds of other programs, including our existing ones. Prince Edward Island now has a program for most of the agricultural plastics and Quebec has gone one step further and virtually everything that is plastic on a farm is regulated. We used to say everything but the kitchen sink. Hmm. If the kitchen sink was wrapped in plastic, <laughs> that would
0: probably be there to <laughs> be recycled too. Okay, Barry, you've mentioned a few different things here that in terms of some of the stuff that you would recycle. So you mentioned small containers that have pesticides in them so herbicides fungicides insecticides but then you also mentioned things like grain bags grain or seed bags just for our listeners to understand what what are some of these things
1: you know it's it's funny clinton because a lot of people have seen these materials and have no idea what they are you've driven in the countryside you've driven past a farm you've seen these things so i'll I'll explain a little bit about the one thing they probably haven't seen a lot of is a 10 liter pesticide and fertilizer container. It's simply, um, if you buy in bulk, you probably bought a 10 liter container. I know I will shop at Costco, and if you shop at Costco, <laughs> you've seen a 10 liter jug of something or <laughs> other. <laughs> it's typically just a plastic container. It is a little bit different for pesticides because it's, it's carrying a very expensive and very highly regulated product. So um, you may not see any difference, but it typically, these are white or translucent containers. They don't have a lot of color to them in their 10-liter container. Bulk containers come in all kinds of sizes. You probably have seen them. You've seen what we used to call a 45-gallon drum. Mm-hmm. It's typically all plastic these days. It goes all the way up to these cage totes. There's these um, wire cages. with. Uh, it's a rigid plastic bladder that's inside of it, and it contains... Uh, The chemical inside of it Uh, might be pesticides, might be fertilizers. These are widely used on farms across the country. Some of these other products, a grain bag, not really a bag. It's really a long tube. And uh, they come in sizes from about 200 feet long all the way up to 500 feet long. They hold grains and oil seeds. They hold a very expensive product, a 300-foot-long bag. That may be 12 feet wide, and it's not perfectly round, it's slumped in, might be carrying $125,000 worth of product. So that bag needs to be very well designed so it doesn't break and it lasts through the season or, or whenever it's emptied and, and the, the product inside is sent to market. Very similar to a grain bag is a silage bag. That uh, silage bag will hold hay that is put in there it's, uh, it keeps the nutrients in, it starts to ferment, and it maintains the nutrients, and they will cut that off uh, piece by piece and use the contents to feed their livestock. Uh, we talked about bale wrap and twine and or netting. A lot of farms have moved to these round bales, and so once they, they do their haying, they roll this hay uh, with their machinery, and then how do they keep it together? They use either twine, which is now virtually all plastic. It's a polypropylene plastic. Or netting, which is like a net that goes around it. The netting is high-density polyethylene. Two different kinds of plastics look very similar. Two very different functions on how twine works or netting works. And then, once it's there, some cases, that's as far as it will go. The farmer will take that and use that as feed. In the dairy industry, most of it, uh, because they need high nutrients and they need to keep those nutrients in place, they will wrap those. So they'll either wrap them individually, and and in Canada, it's usually white. They'll wrap it, and and you'll see these, what we call mushrooms, very large mushrooms, white mushrooms sitting on the farm around the field. Eventually, the farmer will take them in and, uh, and store them together. In other cases they'll they'll line these these rolls up end to end and do what they call inline baling and they'll have big long tubes like a long snake uh, of this. Typically a, a hay will get wrapped have five wraps around it to secure it, keep the oxygen out so that it can stay inside and ferment, keep those nutrients in which are all needed for feeding their dairy herd. Other products, oh we talked about other actual bags, not grain bags, but you know, yeah. seed and pesticide bags. Typically, now I say typically because there are some different products that come in different sizes, but typically it, it started with the typical 50-pound bag in metric 22.7 kilograms, and those bags are typically multi-walled paper bags, sometimes lined with plastic, sometimes not, depending on what the product mm-hmm. is. That's a big part of it. Then there's bulk bags, and those are typically polypropylene. They're actually a woven bag, so they they make the uh, polypropylene in strands and then weave weave them together to make a very, very strong bag, and those will hold up to 1,000 kilograms of product, depending on the size of the bag. I'd like to talk about one other product, and this is kind of an exciting one, and this is maple syrup tubing. Quebec has 95% of Canada's market for maple syrup. It comes from maple trees. They will tap these trees, thousands and thousands of trees, thousands of taps. And there's tubes that come in. And these tubes last about 15 years. Then they come out of service. And this is one of the exciting new programs that we're going to be operating here in, in Quebec is that for maple syrup tubing. And they have two types of plastics. One is the tube itself, and the other is the fitting. Two different types of plastics. We'll be collecting those, sending them for recycling. There's other types of plastics in the horticultural industry as well that we're going to be dealing with uh, that we currently have only done in pilot programs, from greenhouse film to drip tape uh, used uh, in the horticultural industry and some other types of plastics as well. It just goes to show how wide and uh, widespread the different types of tools and products are available. And our job is going to be to manage these on behalf of the farmers and uh, because we want them to farm and let us take care of the, the rest. Just prepare them in the right way and take them back to, to the depot, and we'll take it off their hands.
0: You touched on some of these programs, and I can see where it might start to get a little bit confusing. So you touched on mm-hmm. the fact that you have the small container program, right, and then the discontinued yep. use pesticides that farmers may have that want to get rid of them. But then you mentioned there's there's some of these other sideline programs, and you mentioned grain bags, say, in Saskatchewan, and some all the way to everything in, in Quebec. So how many programs are there that are kind of under your management for trying to recycle and, and properly dispose of?
1: Well, uh, that's a good question, because it's a little bit of a complicated answer, because it varies on the province that we're happening. So what we have now is we have our slate of permanent programs that we operate that, that are voluntary. In almost every province, and that includes our small container program. And we've also expanded to include all the way up to 1,000 liter IBCs, uh, those caged totes. Yep. Yep. They're all part of our program, so you can take them back, uh, all of those products to, to retail for a collection. In most provinces, eight of the ten provinces, and that is Alberta to Nova Scotia, We we haven't launched yet in BC and Newfoundland, but these are for seed and pesticide bags. Small containers, bulk containers, seed, and pesticide bags can be taken back to agriculture retailers, and we'll take them off their hands and for recycling and or safe disposal. fourth program is our it's no longer the obsolete pesticide programs it's the unwanted pesticides and animal health medication program that is offered in every province, including b c and Newfoundland and Labrador every three years in every province. The three-year cycle is something the farmers like. It's a very expensive program to run, and people don't necessarily have unwanted pesticides in animal health every year, right? So those are offer- offered almost in every region. And then comes the regulation. So Saskatchewan, it's mandatory on the grain bag program. Manitoba, it's a host of different products, PEI and Quebec. And then on top of that, we're now operating some pilot programs in various areas, getting ready for this mandatory requirement. If people think that, okay, there's uh, I'm tired of government regulation and, and whatnot, the reality is we need a level playing field. And sometimes there's no replacement for good regulation. And I say good because mm-hmm. it needs to be properly well thought out and uh, not have an overreach. Right. The key here is... Farmers want to farm. They want to produce the product. They want to produce food for their customers. They don't want to produce waste plastics. Yeah. So we're there to solve that issue for them and uh, so that they don't have to think about it. All they have to do is once they have these waste products, prepare in the proper way and take it back. Or or in some cases, we'll actually pick up on the farm. Most of the time, they have to go to a depot for it. Mm-hmm. So the key here is that we're offering a solution to farmers an environmentally friendly solution that uh, they should take advantage of because it's included in the cost of their product or in some cases a fee at retail.
0: You touched on two different things here and and uh, one was the recycling side and the other was the safe disposal because you're right there are some things that you know farmers or ranchers might have had on their hands and, and you mentioned the medications uh, that might be on an animal agriculture farm that they haven't used for a long time and so what Mm -hmm. is that program and and just how does that work to safely dispose of that?
1: Well that program is relatively simple when we operate a a collection depot these materials either leftover pesticides or animal health products once they become waste they get classified as a hazardous material Mm and a hazardous waste material and they have to be operated because it's little bits of chemicals and pro- medications you bring them separately in their original packaging we will take them off the, the farmers hands and because it's so many different things not technically feasible to recycle these materials right. into new right. products cuz a lot of them are very old mm-hmm. yeah. so the key is we find places to to destroy them through high temperature incineration okay. and the that's the key here is that uh, they properly manage at the end of life because because they're classified as hazardous, they can be hazardous material and uh, they have to be safely handled, safely destroyed and, uh, and they're not safe sitting in a shed, in a farm, in a deteriorating container. Yeah. So, we ask farmers, bring it in, we'll take it off your hands. The beauty, free of charge to the farmer. Yeah. We're collecting those. You know, some of the manufacturers don't exist for those products, but we'll take them off their hands. And that's why the industry is so keen about this program. We want to make sure that it's safe and reliable and uh, and we get rid of these. so they, they don't exist anymore.
0: There's a program that's out there in terms of unwanted medications as well, right? Where you yep. can take them back yep. to your pharmacist or your, your doctor's office, wherever exactly. it happens to be. And, and I think it's a great program. For farmers to have or consumers in terms of medication to make sure it doesn't fall into the wrong hands right yeah you just want it to be disposed of properly so
1: and at the end of the day sometimes we end up in the same disposal lots as as they because they're also collecting yeah. the, these old materials that are hazardous waste as well
0: which would which makes sense right so switching back over to the recycled side of things so where are the recycling markets for this? I know there's a depot that's close to our farm, <laughs> but I have no idea where it goes from there. So where, where's that next process?
1: It all depends on what the product is and, uh, what, what we're collecting. And, uh, and I can tell you right now, as we speak, recycling is in a huge flux. It's changing and growing, and we don't have nearly enough depots for them to take it. But, uh, if I start with our container program for pesticides and fertilizers, those uh, there's a couple of different places where they go. We've got three main recyclers. One is Curtis Construction, and they're located in Nakem, Saskatchewan. Oh wow! And, okay. uh, and most of the small containers from uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan end up there. Where and what they do is they'll shred and do a sort of a first wash or cleaning of these that plastic. And then now the plastic is consolidated and we can fully load 53-foot trailers and send them to to markets. Most of that material goes into uh, drain tile, usually used on the farm. So yeah. farm drainage drainage tile. In Manitoba, The uh, our current contractor is Miller Environmental. And uh, in St. John Baptist in, in Manitoba, south of Winnipeg, the containers end up there. We also have our bulk containers that are collected, and there's several contractors we have across the prairies that uh, will collect and recycle those materials, and they do the same thing. They clean it out. These are not Kool-Aid containers, so we have to have special handling mm-hmm. and requirements and special disposal for any liquid waste that's coming out of there or during the washing process. So so that material, all of those, that plastic ends up into farm drainage tile. In the east, uh, Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritimes, most of we have several contractors uh, that, that run it. Most of it ends up in one location in Quebec where they, again, do much of the same thing.
0: Does any of this recycling plastic actually get made into some of the same plastics that farmers would then use again in the future?
1: Ultimately, we want a new container made from an old container. We've done a considerable amount of work to remove the chemical and the odor from this plastic, pelletize it, and make a brand new container out of it. And that's where Hmm. most of the world is going. And uh, we're hoping to see this happen in Canada and the United States very soon. So, these containers will have recycled content in them in the future. Now, those are for the rigid containers. Now, we get into all the other plastics, the the grain bags, and uh, there's several options for them. There's a, a company, Polyag Recycling, in Bashaw, Alberta, that takes most of the grain bags from the prairies right now. There's Berlin, uh, Merlin Plastics, also has a partnership with a Hutterite colony that does grain bags in Alberta. And some of it actually ends up over onto into Vancouver, where where they also have a very large recycling facility for recycling. Um, those are some of the film products uh, we have uh, if we come Closer to the east, there's both Ontario and Quebec. There's EFS Plastics that has a plant in Listowell, Ontario. And uh, there's a plant which is currently undergoing renovations in La Chute, Quebec, that it also does film. Hmm. Now, there's I've mentioned a few of them, and that's almost all of it here today, that are able to manage our uh, plastics. I should say that we collect twine, which is a polypropylene product. One of the challenges is... Not all plastic is the same, so you have to keep these materials separate. That goes stateside into the U.S., where there's a couple of contractors. There's no, none in Canada currently able to manage the twine. What will happen in the future, in five years and ten years from now, it'll look very, very different. The companies I've mentioned will probably still be existing, but there'll be more because we we'll are be collecting more. And ultimately, the goal is a concept we call circular economy, where you make a new product out of the old product. And that's where we're going with our bottle-to-bottle recycling. Mm-hmm. Why not make a whole new bottle out of using recycling. ingredients from the old bottle? Why not new twine out of the old twine? That yeah. new grain bag out of the old grain bag?
0: This sounds like a very successful mm-hmm. program. You mentioned that it's been going on since 2010. How much is, is actually being diverted from the landfill's in this effort and and what portion of the plastics that we're currently using kind of make their way into this recycling program?
1: Well, I'll start with how much is being generated in Canada. And our estimates show that there's about 62,000 tons, metric tons, of plastics used in agriculture today annually. Now, what does 62,000 tons look like? If you fully loaded 53-foot trailers, that will be twenty eight hundred trailers oh, wow. annually. That's a lot of plastic. Park them end to end. Yeah. Uh, it's several dozen <laughs> yeah. kilometers of trucks. Yeah. That's a long convoy. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so that's a lot of plastic. We are currently collecting the equivalent of about ten percent of that through our programming. So the combination of our voluntary programs, which have very good recovery rates and the permanent programs which are all the up and coming but that still leaves 90% left to get you know and ultimately we well I talk to our members and I tell the industry that be prepared for all of it and uh, get ahead of it before it gets you and uh, and the other thing that we've uh, I've got to say is that if a, a certain plastic product becomes a problem you know uh, it's best to get ahead of it and yeah. solve the issue before somebody comes out and bans it yeah. all together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, there's a lot of the, the call for that. So so it's really uh, um, giving you the perspective, 62,000 tons, and that may be a low estimate on how much is really out there. And uh, the, the key is that we're collecting 10% of it, but we want to collect a lot more, and yeah. it can be done. I should also mention the fact that of the programs we operate, we've got very high collection rates. So our small container program is almost 80%. Yeah. So we're collecting almost 80% of all those small containers out there. And that's attributed really to the farmers themselves. Mm-hmm. They've taken it upon themselves that, look, it's the right thing to do. Let's take them back to the depot. It's free of charge for us to do it. I get a yeah. free bag to put it in. Yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. Why not? Yeah. I did a little research just in terms of what Canadians on the consumer side do for recycling. And and I know in our own household, we have the blue bins and similar to you in Ontario, and we do a lot of recycling. But I was surprised to see that in Canada, only 9% of our total plastic gets recycled. So based on your numbers, the farmers are actually doing slightly better. And and obviously, you know, there there's room for improvement. And I like hearing that that number of 80% of the containers being recycled, because I just think on on our farm, that's one of the critical things that we like to do is recycle those. What's some of the feedback that you're hearing from those that are, whether it's farmers or ranchers, about the programs that you have? Is it generally good or or you seeing excitement for new programs coming down the pike? What's the general take on things?
1: But what are the farmers saying? They're looking for solutions. Mm -hmm. Again, I go back to the fact that the farmers they want a farm. Yeah. They don't want, they're not in the recycling business. They just want to do the right thing. They want these plastics to be collected. They want them properly recycled. We've heard way too many horror stories or about, you know, I followed a recycling truck and went straight to the landfill. And Saskatchewan transitioned back in the early 2000s from uh, municipal collections to uh, uh, retail collections. Alberta and Manitoba are just doing that right now as we speak this uh coming year will be the third year of a three-year transition into collecting at retail as opposed to municipal in those municipal sites they're all located at a landfill so a farmer goes well i could chuck the container in here or i could chuck it there into the landfill no chuck it here yeah and in the yeah. future we're going to collect it separately yep. and damn it the those containers are going to be cleaner and we're going to Send them for recycling. And ultimately, if the industry invests in making a new product out of the old product, they want that material back.
0: So, this leads us to the uh, fun farm fact. And, And the fun farm fact of the day is actually based on Clean Farms data. In 2022, Clean Farms kept nearly 6 million kilograms of plastic out of landfills and the environment. So one of the questions that, you know, just thinking of how you're operating and some of the things into the future, do you do any research on new ways to do things? Are you trying to look at uh, ways to reduce your carbon footprint? Are, Are there some of those things that Clean Farms is looking into doing more of?
1: Yes, we've done a lot of that. We've gone as far as actually we have a program here. We now have about 20 staff. Uh, we're located from Lethbridge, Alberta to Victoriaville, Quebec. And we actually monitor, A, what we do as a company, but we also uh, monitor individual folks. So we're actually collecting data on uh, if a lot of people work from home, so their carbon mm-hmm. footprint and working from home is fairly, mm-hmm. fairly low. But if they travel for work, we monitor how much they do via a taxi, Via their own vehicle, how many carbon emissions they put from there? Why are we collecting that data? It's really to try and do a full tally of what our carbon footprint is as as a company. We're looking for ways to reduce that. uh, You know, both individually, if we don't have to travel, or you know, I'm fortunate. I walk to work most (laughs) days. We recycle in our office. Um, You know, our bigger footprint is really what what uh, we facilitate our operations as being and uh, we're doing things like uh for instance on our small container program our contractor in Saskatchewan uh, that does both Alberta and Saskatchewan now has trucks on the road that compact the material so rather than picking up these containers and shipping air mm-hmm. they, they they load it up by volume not by weight they could put a whole lot more weight on the truck but it's fully loaded by volume but if they could get back these containers and it's not easy to do because it's very large containers they require, it requires a lot of effort to be able to compact them. But they've designed a machine that do four times. So they'll have four times less trucking of this material back to their central location where they'll be processing the, the plastic and we're hoping to do that across the country. So more compaction, doing everything we can to reduce that environmental footprint. And ultimately, when you do that, you start to reduce costs too. Yeah. So I've got happy members. They have to pay a little bit less. Yeah. And happy farmers, because ultimately, no matter what you do, whether it's a fee at retail or included in the cost of the product, we know that the farmer is paying for this. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that uh, we do it as efficiently as possible.
0: But it only makes sense, right? Even on the farm, when we're done with our own containers, you want to kind of compress them as tight as you can, because yeah. I know I've put them into those large bags, right? And taking them to yep. the depot. So it does make sense that you're trying to make things as efficient as possible to reduce some of that cost and and make sure that like you said that as you go through the cycle and the chain, you know, that will save money elsewhere and it and it is better for the environment as well. So it's it's great to hear. Yeah.
1: yeah. And you know, we find every time we do something like this look at efficiencies and the ways that we can do it, we end up with savings. Yeah. You know, at the same time, we're trying to do more. We want to collect more and more. And so 10% is great. You know, 80% recovery rate is great, but why not 100?
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to say thank you very much for taking the time to be on the podcast, Barry. It was great chatting about this program and listening to some of the great things that the agriculture industry is doing and, and kind of looking into the future with some of the the expectation for what we can do more, uh, as we move forward too. So thank you very much for your time. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our Ask a Farmer podcast. We at Canadian Food Focus value the input from our listeners and ask that you share this podcast with your friends and family. Remember, This is a two-way street, so we seek your input for future segments that are of interest to you about food and farming. To do this, please click on the Ask Us icon at the top of our website, CanadianFoodFocus.org. While you're there, feel free to follow our numerous social media links and sign up for our newsletter. This segment was produced and edited by Angela Larson, research and writing by Dorothy Long and Penny Eaton, music by Andy Elson. I'm your host, Clinton Monchuk, and from all of us here at Canadian Food Focus, we wish you good health and great eats.